Welcome to Saturday Morning Rewind, a show dedicated to the love of animation and feeling like a kid again. Let's go back in time to when cats defended Third Earth. Sword of Omens, give me sight beyond sight. A masked duck protected the streets of St. Canard. I am the terror that flaps in the night. And knowing was half the battle. Yo, Joe! Let's go back with Saturday Morning Rewind and your host, Tim Nidell. Thank you so much for tuning in to a brand new episode of Saturday Morning Rewind with your host, Tim Nidell. That's me, of course. And for today's episode, I'm taking you all the way back to the early 1980s because I have Marcus Osolio, also known as Sparky Marcus, back in the day on the podcast today. Marcus voiced one of my favorite kid characters when I was growing up in the early 80s. He was a voice of Richie Rich. Dollar, look! Some crooks have robbed vault number 238. But that's only money. Finding our Rona is more important. And I just thought of a way. By sniffing out a special robot perfume with my smell-o-vision detector. He also voiced TJ Tiger from Shirt Tales, Montgomery Moose from The Get Along Gang, and Nick Burns from Challenge of the Gobots. All cartoons I just adored as a kid. And of course, this episode is brought to you by our producers, Luis Alvarez, TJ Garvin, Gemma Bright, and Alan Dragon. Thank you so much, Alan, for coming back to Patreon after my short break. Really means a lot that you came back. And of course, I need to give a big shout out to our executive producer of this episode, Mike Clemens. Mike, thank you so much for your continued support. It means the world to me. And if you're listening and you want to help us out by becoming a producer or executive producer of each episode, check out our Patreon page. You'll find it on our website, SaturdayMorningRewind.com. Donations start at $2 and go up from there. Or if you want to give a custom one-time donation, you can do that through Patreon as well. This is Doofus here from DuckTales. We interrupt this program to bring you this very important interview from Saturday Morning Rewind. I know Huey, Dewey, and Louie like it too. I'm excited, man, because seriously, you were part of a lot of classic cartoons from when I grew up. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. That's really cool to hear just because, you know, I, I there's only a couple of things in all my entire career that I ever watched, like, ever. Really? And I never watched any, uh, yeah, and I never watched any of the cartoons. <laughs> just never did. So you just, you just never so, sat down and watched Richie Rich or Shirt Tales? No. No. Wow. No. Man, that's just sad. I, it's, no, it's just, you know, I came from the kind of family I picked myself apart, so... I never liked watching something that going, oh, shit, I dropped it on that one. Or, oh, man, I should have done better on that. Or, yeah. God, why'd they ever print that? <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely you see know? that. I, I do. I used to do some theater work, and uh, I'd hate, you know, I, I, hate, I, I hate editing the podcast because I hate hearing my own voice, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of exactly how I feel, too. It's like, do I really sound that way? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So um, I was reading about you. There's not too much out there. Regarding, you know, your, your past and your, your work, mm -mm. so I'm, I'm excited to get yeah. to know more about you. I did see that you were born and raised in Hollywood, California. Was that right? <laughs> I was born in Hollywood. I was raised when I was first, when, I, when my mom had me, we lived in East L.A. And then when I was about four or five years old, we moved to a small town called South Pasadena, um, which is like three square miles and had 13 police cars, and there was no getting away with anything. <laughs> 
it's, that's a little different from Hollywood, California. Yeah. 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 I mean, we could, uh, you know, my typical day from first grade through high school was get off school, call home because I never knew how many interviews I had, if any. Sometimes I'd have one, sometimes I had five. And so between 3.30 and 5.30, my mom hauled ass from where we live to Burbank, to North Hollywood, to Hollywood, to Century City, to wherever wow. we needed to go. I know. So we knew every back road to everything. <laughs> and when I first started working, we had this uh, five-door Mazda like hatchback, and I called it the Flying Potato. <laughs> it used to, I mean, she just booked in this thing. It was awesome. <laughs> So you you really started yeah. the your uh, voice acting or, I mean your acting career at a very young age then. Yeah, I was five when I started doing commercials and stuff. Man, and then I'm trying to remember. I got I remember I was in first grade when they did a. They, I didn't realize at the time that it was a pilot. Not that I knew what that was, but um, Friendly Persuasion, the movie with Gary, oh, no, the guy who did Psycho, Anthony Perkins. Yep. Okay. Um, they did a they did a reboot of it with Richard Kiley and Shirley Knight and I got a part in it. And I remember we were in Missouri for 12 weeks, uh, during winter, which I really learned that Missouri is not a cool place to be during the winter. <laughs> um, it was really, really cold and icy. And I was like, how long are we going to be here? <laughs> are we really doing this? Um, <laughs> I know. uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I got my first series when I was seven, uh, with Sigmund and the sea monsters. And the call was for a teenager. And for some reason I got out, I got an interview and I got the job. Huh. Um, I, I hit it off with everybody and I was nice. only, you know, I was a kid. Yeah. Nice. Were, was anybody in your family in the uh, business or were you no. pretty much the first no. one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my mom had a very close friend whose daughter was Claudia Lamb, who played the daughter in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Okay. Uh, do you remember that one? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so, there was a thing going on with my brother. My brother, he's seven years older than me, and he had, I don't know, he had a hard time learning how to read or something. So we had a reading tutor in our house. Well, I was three or four, and so the reading tutor was teaching me too, and so I could read by the time before I was five, before I went to school, I could read. Huh. So when you go on an interview and you work on the lines with your mom or whatever, they give you like a couple of pages of dialogue to read. So I'd go in and they're like, okay, yeah, you'd be good with that. Here's another one. Go out with your mom and, and let her rip. And I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Let's go. You know, time's money. Let's boogie. You wow. know? <laughs> so I had that opportunity. And that's, I think, one of the things that set me apart. But, you know, back then, the expectations for child actors in Hollywood are much different than what they are now. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, they wanted you to essentially do three things. Show up on time, because that's important. Know your lines, because if you show up to work and you don't know your lines, you're just slowing everything down and shut up. <laughs> don't make a sound. You know, just be quiet unless we need you to talk. So what was your progression into uh, voice acting? I was in, I want to say fourth or maybe fifth grade. I don't remember the year. And I got a backup role on Freaky Friday. I actually played a, I can't even remember the name of the role. Anyway. There was another kid who did the first three episodes of Richie Rich as Richie Rich, a guy named Christian Hoff. Very nice uh, guy. We were we, we were good. And then one day I showed up to work and they're like, he was gone. And they're like, okay, you stepped into this role. Well, okay. You know, I, I had nothing to do with that. I didn't know what was going on. And so we did a couple of seasons of that. And then as other cartoons came along, 
I didn't have to audition for them. It was just like my agent called and said, yeah, they got another cartoon for you starting to you know, say, <laughs> kind of thing. Okay. Um, and when I looked around at Hanna-Barbera, I, at the time, I don't recall any other children working there. Interesting. It was me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I know. So I kind of took it for granted at the time, but I was also doing something that I wasn't really sold on personally. Hmm. It was, I was not emotionally invested in what was going on. I was, it was just a job. You know, I, as far as I knew, every other kid did the same thing because, you know, like, it was nothing special to me where there are, you know, thousands of other young people who want to work in Hollywood that would do anything for a job and here they're handing them to me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really care all that much. Um, it was not a career I ever wanted to pursue. You know, it was family money. You know, I did it for the fam and it got to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore. By the time I was a teenager and my parents were like, no no, we need this. So you need to work. Huh. So after a while, I got, a, I got a little resentful of the situation. So I had to actually turn 18 before I could say like, I declare I will not be doing this anymore. You can't make me. That pretty much answers why you stepped away from the business then. Yeah. I just, it was never anything I was invested in. It was just a job. Huh. And you know, I, I work with people who are really, really dedicated to the craft and that wasn't me. It was like, I remember watching Russell Crowe's uh, uh, um, Oscar acceptance speech for Gladiator. Uh-huh. And they're like, you know, how did you, you know, get into the center of the role and, you know, try to figure out, you know, the motivation? And he's like, it wasn't my gig and the check cleared. <laughs> so that was why. And to a degree, to a degree, it was the same thing with me. And here's the thing. I didn't see very much of the money. I didn't, you know, I it was family money. I never got it. My job was washing cars up and down the street. I would, mm. for five bucks, I would show up at your house and wash your car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And then the day I got my driver's license, I got a job parking cars at the Troubadour in Hollywood. And I worked there for a parking service. I worked there once in a while. And then I was mostly stationed at a restaurant in Glendale for five bucks an hour, which in 1983 dollars was double minimum wage. That's pretty good. So I was like, yeah, sweet. <laughs> You know, and so I'd get off uh, school at, um, you know, three o'clock, work at Hanna-Barbera until 530 and then haul to Glendale to park cars until midnight. And then next day was repeat, you know, 1130 maybe. Yeah. So that's what I did. So I had this I had this jar full of dollar bills from my tip money. And that was that was what I did. My allowance when I got my driver's license was like 25 bucks. What was your first big purchase? Well, my first big purchase, I paid 1500 bucks for a car that I had to get towed home um, <laughs> because it didn't run. And so, I mean, then it was like, you know, rebuild the engine, do that stuff. Yeah. It was a 65 Mustang was my first oh, car. Oh, man, that's nice. So, yeah. Oh, dude, it was thrashed. It was nothing pretty. I mean, I tried to, like, doll it up a little bit, but uh. it was what it was, you know. And that was it. I don't recall, you know, I, there weren't any big purchases in my life like when I was that age yeah. before I was making my own money and, and, uh, uh, you know, under my own roof kind of thing. Yeah. So you mentioned your 65 Mustang. My dad had a 66 Mustang. He loved that thing. He said, and, um, mm-hmm. he took my mom out. I think it was their first date. I think it was. And they got hit by a trunk, a drunk driver and he totaled the car. Ugh. Totaled it. Ugh, bummer. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of 65 Mustangs. It's one of my favorites. I just love the lines. 
I'm a car guy, a yeah. car guy. Yeah. I don't know. I started loving cars as soon as I like, you know, started seeing them. So it's like I at one point I have a very patient wife, and at one point I think we had six cars in the driveway. And she's oh, like, man. dude, something's got to, yeah, something's got to go. And I was like, no, but I love all of them separately. I just no, I can't do it. You know, it's the way you know some people collect purses or shoes or whatever. It's yeah. like to be vehicles. Yeah, why not? So I, I'm down. I'm down to four. I think that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah that's that's better than the, what what it was. Yeah. So what's your obsession now? You know, I'm a BMW guy. When I learned that when I was parking cars, the two cars had to have the best transmissions that I thought were the Honda and the BMW. I loved them. The BMW transmission, that car was so easy to drive. The 320s back in the day, loved those cars. So I was about, it was after, let's see, I'm trying to think. It was about 1993 was when I bought my first brand new BMW. And I was like, ah, I'm on top of the world. <laughs> so basically, I'm on like my fifth or sixth one. My wife drives one. My, we, I bought a used one for my kid only because they're full of airbags and it's all-wheel drive, and I'm like, good with that. Uh-huh. And then I drive I drive a Chevy pickup to work, and then my fun cars, I've got a, a Jag XJS convertible Ooh. from the 90s that I just love. Oh, Again, cool. the lines are beautiful. The lines are beautiful. Very I call cool. it a 10-footer because it looks really good from 10 feet away. <laughs> when you get up close, when you get up close, it's like, oh, man, is the interior? Can you even sit on this? <laughs> so, yeah, man, oh, man, don't worry. That's amazing. Yeah, it runs like a top. It won't die. It runs great. So it's oh, that's like, sweet. I'm keeping it until the wheels fall off. Yeah, my, my dream, okay, so I, I want a Corvette. I want an older mm-hmm. Corvette, you know, 70s, 80s, okay. maybe early model. Okay. But my All fear right. is, my yeah, yeah, yeah. My fear is that I won't fit in one. I'm 6'4". I don't know if I'm going to uh, fit in fit. one. I will? Uh, you'll fit. You'll okay. Fit. okay. Oh, yeah. Because I'm 5'5". Five, five, and I can't fit. I can't get the seat hardly <laughs> close enough. If it's, yeah. The best thing about the Corvettes in California is at the time I was parking cars, you couldn't get a, a, um, a manual. You could only get an automatic, okay, yeah. which is what saved my life. Because if I had to put the clutch in, <laughs> yes. I never would have been able to. I would have needed a stick. I'm serious to put the clutch in. Um, I've driven a bunch of C4s. I, you're, you're six, whatever, 6.5, six, you're going to be fine. Sweet. They're, okay. they're built for you. Good. Yeah, they're good, built good. for you. Yeah, because there's no back me. seat. There's no back seat, so I should be good. Nope. Yeah, there's a lot of it goes back plenty. It doesn't go up much. Yeah. Even my '65 Mustang, my first car was a manual, and in order to put the clutch in, I had to have the seat up all the way. And I swear the steering wheel was in my chest. <laughs> yeah, I look like some little old lady, you know, driving this car. It's like it was kind of embarrassing, but I really didn't care. Yeah, like my wife, she's like five two. Yeah, that's how she drives. Okay, what is it with tall girls or tall guys and short girls? It's right? weird. You short know. Guys Short guys need love too. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Tell her you better, you better be really good to that girl. That's all I try. I try. I try. Okay. I, I some told me to do good. All right. So let's let's go back. Let's go back to your Hanna Barbera days. Do you have any stories to tell about being in the studio? Maybe even with William Hanna and Joseph Barbera. I met. I never. I met Mr. Hanna once. Uh, he was. In, I don't recall him being in the building very often. Mr. Barbera, I met several times. I actually, when I was starting to apply to colleges, he, I asked him for a, a reference um, to a school I never got into. <laughs> um, what I remember, and this, I, I think you can relate to this. I'm sitting in the room doing how it was a, okay, I was on the Herculoids. The Herculoids are part of this, like, group of cartoons that were separate, but they'd get together and all do one where they were all in it. And I can't remember which was, like, Space Ghost and and uh, Fantastic Falcon and all these different cartoons. Anyway, 
I'm sitting there and I'm looking at these people that look like normal schmoes that you see in the supermarket. And then they talk and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so-and-so's voice. Oh, my God, that's, that's, that's you know, uh, Shaggy's voice. Oh, my God, that's freaking Frank Welker. Oh, my God. So I'm sitting there going, I am surrounded by cartoon royalty. Yes. With cartoons that go back to the 60s. And yeah. I was working in the 80s. And I was, like, blown away with all the talent that was in that room. Because it was like Don Messick, the guy who did Scooby-Doo and just about every other yep. Hanna-Barbera cartoon that ever that was ever on. That dude was my hero. He was the greatest. I loved working with him. Frank Wilker was a crack-up. He was always funny to work with. Really, really good guy. Um, uh, 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 Richie Rich had Joni Gerber, who had been doing it for oh, a long God, time. Yeah. Charles, Charles Fleischer, who ended up doing um, Roger Rabbit. Um, I... The guy was hysterical. What did he uh, do on, uh, what did Charles Fleischer do? Uh, Professor Keenbean. Was he? Okay. I think, yeah, because he was, when you think about it, the voice patterns are really similar, even though the voice tone is different. And when you hear Professor Keenbean talk and you watch Robert Rabbit, Roger Rabbit, <laughs> you can see the similarities oh, man. in the patterns of, of diction rather than necessarily the, the um, uh, uh, tone of his voice. Huh. Yeah, I didn't know he was involved in that. Yeah, I know. That, here's the thing. It's like I go, I, do you know who um, Brock Peters is? I know the name, yes. Yes. Okay. Brock Peters was in the black and white version of, um, oh, God, what's the, the courtroom thing? Not to kill a Yeah, to kill a mockingbird. Um, and he was a cartoon character on one of the shows I was doing. And it didn't dawn on me until I was long out of there. I was working with one of the most pivotal actors of the 60s. And I was like, where was my brain at the yeah. time? I mean, I should have been absorbing all of this, you know, awesomeness, you know, like the, like the Gryffindor sword, you know, it's like everything great just makes me greater, you know. Um, the, the people that were in that room were amazing, and I was incredibly lucky. Yeah, I'm looking up, uh, I'm looking up Brock right now. Yeah, man. He is in yeah. a lot of great Look at things. That working man, yeah. Not to mention, I'm a Star Trek fan, so oh yeah, yeah, there you go. Somebody. There yeah, you go. So it's like there's that whole thing. So if you can imagine this, my wife and I have been playing this game for like 20 years. Okay, so it's six degrees to Kevin Bacon, right? So I'm doing. I can get to Kevin Bacon in two degrees. Okay, <laughs> so I play like this six degrees game because it's like, okay, I worked with Jack Warden. Jack Warden was in From Here to Eternity with um, Frank Sinatra, right? Uh -huh. And Montgomery Clift, uh huh. And uh, Donna, oh, who is uh, Mrs. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, Donna Reed. Yes, yes, yes. Um, have like all of these really classic actors, and I'm like, I'm like two to three degrees for those guys. <laughs> so I have this, I have this picture in my brain of this whole wall with me in the middle, and then all these little string attachments to all these other pins, yeah. and all these other actors, like figuring out who my orbit is, kind of thing. So you mentioned <laughs> that. I wonder what my connection is to Kevin Bacon because I did a scene with. Um, Kevin Costner for Yellowstone. Okay. So I wonder okay. what the connection is. Probably pretty close. Okay. Kevin Costner. Okay. He was in like Tombstone. Tombstone had. No, he wasn't in Tombstone. Oh. He was in Wyatt Earp. No, Kevin Costner was. No, no, no. And I was thinking, sorry, Silverado. Yeah, yeah there you go, Silverado. Silverado. Yes. And the guy uh, who played his brother in Silverado, Scott Carpenter, there's got to be some sort of connection. With Scott Carpenter and Kevin Bacon. 
this is how we play the game. I know. I mean, this I is know. how it starts. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So it's, it's like when we sit there just going, oh, I just got myself connected to Harry Potter. Oh, no, I'm now in episode four of Star Wars. Yeah. You know, I'm four degrees from Mark Hamill. Woo. I know. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just yeah. fun. Just yeah, fun yeah, things to do. It is. You know, I try to find some silver linings here and there because truthfully, the years that I worked, they weren't always so fabulous, you know. So I did hear that your time as Richie as Richie Rich, it was ended because you hit puberty. Was that right? No, I still worked after that. I did Richie Rich till it didn't get renewed. Okay. Nobody replaced me. Okay. Uh, I was the the last and final. So no, after a while, I went from your Richie Rich to Hey, how you doing? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else's voice was the same. So the girl who played Gloria was. Um, uh, 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 God, I'm, I'm uh, Bart Simpson, Nancy Cartwright, uh, Nancy Cartwright, awesome girl, so much fun to work with, hysterical and insanely talented. You can't believe what that girl could do with her voice. It's amazing. Um, yeah, uh, and obviously she's gone on to a huge. I remember when she got that job. I, we were working together when Simpsons was cast. Oh, okay, so that was we're pushing thirty something years. Yeah, thirty six. Yeah. And I don't know, I, I only watched The Simpsons sporadically, so I don't really know how long it's been on, but it's been on forever. Since, like, what, 89? No, no, I would say 85. 80, well, yeah, because it was part of the... Um, oh, Tracy Ullman yeah, show. Yeah, Tracy Ullman show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, and so she did Gloria's voice, which, you know, so her voice never changed. Nobody's voice changed but mine. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, IMDb, <laughs> IMDb said that you were... Uh, Kick to the side because you hit puberty. Yeah, well, IMDb unfortunately doesn't get everything. No, correct. they do not. No, they do not. But that's okay. You, you know, I'm just flattered anybody remembers me. I, it was a long time ago. I chose to go the way that I went. I, it was never something I wanted to do for my life. And, you know, I just, I get a, the occasional Facebook message or something. It was, oh, were you, you know, so and so. It's like, yeah, thanks for remembering me. I really appreciate it. That's very kind. You know, I mean, I guess you'd go the rest of your life and not be remembered. So, yeah, it's true. I, That's true. And then you get a letter from me I, in the mail to the hospital. <laughs> I know. Oh, man. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. You're not, you're not the only one. Apparently, <laughs> somewhere in, in Internet land, the, my mailing address for fan mail is the hospital. That's where so, I found you. Yeah. yeah. I know. So funny. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. The, the cat's out of the bag. It's just, it's not something I ever talk about. Yeah. So yeah. when I moved from Los Angeles to uh, Northern California, it was like starting over. It was like nobody knew my history and there was no internet at the time. And I was like, yeah, this is cool. And little by little, the cat's gotten out of the bag. So is it kind of burdensome when people kind of approach you? No. And like, okay. No, no, I don't, it's not, it doesn't happen that often. You know, it, it, it's, I'm, I, you know, I guess I'm just not comfortable talking about myself. I'm a back row kind of guy. I don't yeah, like to watch. Yeah. I, I don't like to be involved. I like to plan things. I don't like to do things. So it's like somebody else can go be the face and the voice. <laughs> I don't have any problem planning the event. I just want to sit in the back and, you know, drink heavily till it's over because I get nervous about stuff like that. Yeah, no, um, I, I totally get that. So that's kind of who I am. And I, I don't like being out front. I don't like attention. Um, but, you know, when someone... You, it's one thing when someone's like, oh, my God, let's make this big deal about it. It embarrasses me. But it's totally cool when someone goes, wow, I just have a couple of questions if you mind. Oh, no, not at all. Let's talk about it. Um, I, don't get, I don't generally get into a lot of detail. But, you know, then 
this is probably in the last two years, this is probably the third or fourth interview I've had, which is impressive. I never saw this coming. <laughs> so when you, when you were a kid, you were, you were marked as a Sparky Marcus. Was that like your acting name? Yeah, yeah. My childhood nickname was Sparky. Okay. I so figured. anybody, yeah, anybody who knew me before junior high school called me that. School, uh, my school hmm. friends, everybody. Um, and when I went to finally went to junior high school, I went by Marcus. I don't, you know, at the time I didn't. My ears were tuned to hear Marcus, unless my mom was mad at me, and then that hmm. came out. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, yeah, I, I, what my ears pricked up to was Sparky. So that is what I've. You know what I was used to at the time, and you know now it's okay to have cool names like Giancarlo Esposito. Yeah, yeah. And you know all these. You know what I what I would say at the time back in the seventies was not catchy enough. And now you know, I, you know it's okay to be Leonardo DiCaprio. What's wrong with Marcus Asolio? <laughs> exactly, you know? it's a classy name right there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my poor wife. Her main name was Green. <laughs> I feel bad for her. She has this really long, obnoxious name with a G in the middle that no one can pronounce. You know, people try, people try to go. It's okay. You got to be family, but that was pretty good. <laughs> now you mentioned you mentioned schoolmates, school friends. Yeah, I often yeah. hear you know kids in the acting world when they were acting as kids, they often got bullied because they were in TV or movies. Was that the case for you, or were your, were your friends cool with it? Absolutely, I was tortured daily uh i you know i've always had just a couple of really close friends i don't have a huge circle uh lots of acquaintances but there's only a few people i would die for you know what i mean yeah and when i was in elementary school and even through high school it mellowed out after elementary school but there were these three jackasses in my class and i my school district was pretty small so the classes the people i was in first grade with the same people I was in sixth grade with, the exact same class, minus people that move and come and go or for whatever reason get transferred. So I had these three jackasses that absolutely rode me daily. And, you know, I'd go home and I'd be, Mom, they're torturing me. Oh, honey, they're just jealous. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't want to be jealous. They're like, boys will be boys. Now it'd be a whole different story. But back then, no one was willing to intervene. Sorry, deal. It's just sad. I just don't understand. First of all, I don't understand bullies, but I was bullied. I was bullied a lot in in middle school, almost every day. And yeah, but, I feel you, brother. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. I there's days. I, I was lucky though. Like if I had social media back then, it'd be a whole different story, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you, you exactly. can dwell on it so much longer than you you did back in the seventies and eighties. But the fact that I was able to just go home and live a normal life and not even think about the bullies until the next day, I think I was blessed. Yeah. Yeah. If You know, what I learned to do, and I had to do this work, I learned to put things in a box. And because, you know, you can't work if you're emotional. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, there would be times I got in trouble on the set. I don't know. I said something I wasn't supposed to say and my mom freaked out or whatever. And, you know, you got to hit your mark and you got to be ready and, you know, when it's go time, it's go time. It's they're not going to wait for you, and in the they will not rehire you on future projects if you can't deliver on this project today. And I learned to just stuff things in a box and move on. Yep. So, which was good back then, but not so much when I got older. Because when I got older, sometimes these boxes opened in my face, and times yep. I wasn't right for yep. it. And it was like, oh my god! Especially my son. Today is my son's twenty-first birthday. Oh, happy birthday! Um, we. 
there, when he started hitting certain age benchmarks, I started having a lot of, and I won't say that there were fresh memories because that's not what it was. It was just I didn't think about it much. Mm-hmm. Like he, on his eighth birthday, I remember thinking, oh, he's eight years old. What was I when I was eight? Oh, when I was eight, I was filming Freaky Friday. Oh, that was great. Oh, yeah. And then that stuff happened and mm-hmm. this stuff happened. And, you know, and that was, that happened multiple times as he's been growing up. And it's been difficult for me to deal with some of that stuff. And my mom passed away in 2009. Okay. So we didn't have a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a lot of time to work any of this stuff out. And, you know, I don't know that we could have, huh. but, you know, there you go. So were you kind of so, resentful maybe to how she pushed you into the career that you had as a kid? I'm going to say they, because no matter how much my father says, oh, I have no idea what was going yeah. on. The fact that he was living, you know, <laughs> factors beyond his lifestyle, yeah. that he, the lifestyle he could afford, tells me that he knew exactly what the hell was going yeah. on. Because I'm sorry, you know. Mm. So I resent. <sighs> Here's where it came down to. When my son was born, my parents decided that out of the four children, I have two sisters and a brother. Out of the four children, I won the kid derby, and they're moving to where I am. And I'm going, uh. But then I thought, okay, if I choose to have them in my life and choose to let them spend time with their grandson, I can't constantly hold them. I, I can't keep throwing this stuff in their face. Yeah. Because at some point, I could choose not to have them in my life, and then, be, you know, it'd be fine. So they moved to where I lived and I really tried to be that guy and let all this stuff go. But they, they knew which buttons to push. You know what I mean? So when, when my son was young, he was very bright, very animated. I mean, not that he's not now, but he was particularly bright and animated for a a toddler. Um, And she's like, God, this is just what you were like as a kid. I'm like, Oh, great. She goes, are you going to put him in movies? I'm like, no. (laughs) And she'd look at me and say, he's going to grow up to hate you forever. Wow. Wow. I know. And I'm like, you know what? If the kid gets the burn, he can do community theater. He can do exactly. drama. And when he turns 18 and he wants to move to New York or LA and figure it out, I'll support that hundred yep. percent. But but before that time, he gets to be a kid and go on field trips and be in little league and do whatever the hell he wants yeah. to do. I'm not going to make him adult at eight, you no. know, which is exactly working between an adult world and trying to function in a kid's world is difficult. Um, it's, it's an interesting dance to try and maintain. It's, it's the dynamics are totally different. So there were times where, you know, my mom and I would have pretty intense discussions about the way things were. And the only real admission I got out of her was we needed the money. So hmm. yeah, Man. we needed you to work because we needed the money. So, okay. Well, when I graduated from high school, okay. Before I say this, do you remember, I don't know how old you are. How old are you? 42. 42. Okay. I don't know if you were old enough because it's been more than 20 years, but the Social Security Administration used to send you a little like uh, a little report of how many years you've been filing taxes and how much Mm. you filed for and how much your Social Security is going to be worth when you turn this age and this age and this age. So I'm looking at it and between the ages of five and 18, there was a significant amount of money there in money that I earned. Uh And I'm like, so when you did a series at the time, an episodic television series, not an episodic cartoon series, okay, um, a certain portion of that money had to be put away into a trust fund. And that trust fund, yeah, when you turned 18, became your money. 
And when I got my trust fund, there was $30,000 in it. That is less than 5% of my overall earnings in that 13 year period. So then I learned, okay, so I've got, uh, we had a horrible relationship when I was graduating from high school. So after high school, I moved away and went to college and said, screw you, I'll never be back. I threw my house key, my dad kind of thing, or I'll never need this. Well, lo and behold, a couple of years, I got kicked out of two or three colleges and had to go home. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> can I come home? And my mom's like, certainly, darling, come on home. So my parents decided to sell the house and up and move, which is fine. And my mom hands me a checkbook and goes, here, this is yours. And I go, what do you mean? She goes, that's your checking account. I'm like, what about it? She goes, no, you don't understand. This has been your checking account for the last 20 years. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, oh. I go, really? And then it dawned on me when I looked at that, that Social Security statement that from the ages of 18 to 21, I was still pulling in 60 grand a year in residuals. Wow. and didn't know it. Wow. I had no idea. Um, so I'm like trying to figure, I'm trying to wrap my head around this going, holy crap, where did it all go? Well, didn't matter. It was gone. Yeah. There, there yeah. was nothing to show. Yeah. And so it's like, I was comfortable with the money that I was making, doing what I was doing. I was able to pay the rent and, you know, do what I wanted to do. But it was like, I, I had no idea how much I had contributed. I didn't know. Yeah. You know, I had no clue. And well, and some of the other kids that I worked with that I still keep in touch with now, some of them have the same story and some of them have drastically different stories. Like, I got audited in 1990 for tax years like 82 to 86, something like that. Well, I never filed my taxes. My parents did. Never signed my taxes. My parents did. Uh-huh. I had no idea. So they had all this hinky they were writing off a whole bunch of stuff they had no business writing off. So basically I got a letter from the IRS going, uh, dear Mollis, you owe us $40,000. Please write us a check. Oh my Thank gosh. You. Yeah. I was making eight bucks an hour. It's like, <laughs> give me a break, you know? So I went to the interview with the IRS and they're like, yeah, we've heard this story before. So we'll waive all the penalties. We'll waive all the interest. And, um, yeah, you still owe us like $27,000. So we're going to have to put you on a payment plan. I'm like, okay. So I sold everything I owned, got that paid off after a few years, had to settle with the franchise tax board, all this stuff. And my parents were just like, oh, wow, that's too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, son. I know. I know. And I'm just like, you can't write this stuff. It's like this is the reality part of life that you can't even imagine. You know. But like I said, when I get with some of my old coworkers when I was a kid, they had it way worse than I did. I got off easy compared to what some of the other kids had. Um, so I, I don't know. I, having never wanted to follow that career the rest of my life, it was really easy not to depend on money you didn't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So, cause working in Hollywood, you get paid this year, but you don't get paid next year because yep. you're not working. Yep. Or you have 10 jobs this year and you don't get another job for a year and a half. You know, it affects your, your um, confidence to a degree, but it also affects the AR. Cause if you've got nothing coming in, you know, my mom, we'd go on an interview when I was like eight or nine years old. And my mom would be like, you know, we really, really need this one spark. We're, 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 you know, living pretty close to the cuff. You know, we're, we're kind of doing it. And then I look at, you know, I had 19 jobs that, <laughs> you know, give me a break. I was doing fine. I don't know what you guys were doing with it, but I was Yeah, well, what are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah, know. My dad worked full time. I don't know. He was able to retire at 58. So I think that, you know, 
that might have been the the advantage he got out of it. I yeah, don't know. Beats yeah. me. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Man, it sucks. But at least, I mean, like you said, other child actors out there had it worse than that. So I guess Way you kind of worse. Yep. yeah. So you kind of, you kind of avoided that at least. Yeah, I did. I did. And you know, family money. They went to you know, everybody got a piece. I guess. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad, little five year old Marcus is out there just working his butt off just to support uh, the family. You know. But that's the thing. I've never been without a job my entire life. Man. So yeah, I've, I've got that work ethic, man. I was going to say, dead. yeah, work ethic is definitely there for you. Yeah, yeah. And my wife's the same way. My kid's the same way. So, you know, I'm in I'm in good company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes you who you are, you know? I think so. So let's end on a happy note. What is something that you remember <laughs> from the uh, good old, you know, 70s, 80s that you look back on with fond memories? Um, one cartoon I did when I was in elementary school that took years between recording and then finishing hand animation was something called Banjo the Woodpile Cat. And it was Don Bluth's uh, first production. Nice. The guy who did yes. American Tale and all yes, the other rescuers. Yes, yes. Um, so he worked for Disney and that was his breakout project that he left Disney and did this thing. And I want to say I was in about third grade when I filmed, when I taped the dialogue. <clears throat> I got to work with Scatman Crothers. Oh, man. Amazing man. Oh, Amazing man. man. Um, and that's one of the few things that I've watched. And I was still doing additional dialogue recording when I was in fifth and sixth grade. Because, you know, they, it took that long for them to hand animate a 30-minute cartoon. <clears throat> I think it was only him and another guy. So and they did beautiful work. If you've ever seen it, that is one I actually worth watching. I've actually never um, seen this one. I've seen all of his other work, but I've never seen this one for some yeah. odd reason. I need I need to watch it. Well, it's kind of obscure. It's out there, you know. I mean, you gotta actually be nerdy enough to search it out because <laughs> you know it's it's not. It wasn't one that was thrown on a plate for you like a lot of his other projects. Yeah. And the guy's a gifted animator. He's really good at what oh, he does for sure. And that is one of the few things that I'm actually particularly proud of. I thought I did a good job on that, and I thought the cast that I work with worked together well. And the, the Don and I think the guy who worked with is Gary Goldman. Um, <clears throat> those guys were really fun to work with. And you know, I will say, doing cartoons, the director sets the tone. It's either going to be a lot of fun or it's going to suck. Because mm-hmm. well, okay, imagine this: every line in a cartoon is numbered, so you can say, okay, go back to sixty-two. We're going to pick up from there, and then go on all right or we need to just do a quick recap of uh, 98 and just get that one line back so he popped or something so i worked most of the places you work you start with line one and you roll until there's an error or a break for whatever reason and you pick up and go so you can record a 15 minute cartoon in you know seven or eight minutes something like that i worked for a director who slated every line <laughs> so we go into work and there's 200 lines 200, you know, pieces of dialogue in this cartoon, and every single one was slated, which means if you stopped, you retook, they slated it, yeah, the slate is for all the timing to get all put together, um, every single one. And I remember going to film a, uh, going to record a 20-minute cartoon, and it took two or three hours. And I remember literally going out to the lobby where my mom was and like, order pizza, I'm dying. You know, it's seven o'clock at night. I got uh-huh. to school at three. I need to eat. 
You know, so I remember we're ordering pizza just trying to get through this stupid recording. <laughs> but that's how those guys set the tone. And um, uh, uh, Richie Rich was a blast. Everything I did at Hanover Bear was fun. Everything. And Deke, uh, that was another uh, recording company I worked for. I think Deke did um, Get Along Gang. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was either it. Deke or Ruby Spears. I can't remember. Um, and uh, that was fun. I mean, there was just, it was great. It was great. Uh, I, 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 it was easy to do because if I, man, I had acne when I was younger, and you know it's hard to get jobs when you got zits. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I was nice to not have to worry about what I looked like. You know, I could go to, yeah, I could go to work with whatever I just jammed in school with. I could hop in my car, drive out to Burbank, record for a few hours, and then go do what I was going to do. It was nice not having to scrub makeup off your face. You get out of wardrobe, go to wardrobe calls, all the other associated things you have to do when you're in front of the camera. Yep. Um, yeah, recording was way easier. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I did a few scenes for a Kevin Sorbo movie last week, and oh, wow. I'm still picking makeup out of my uh, bald head, <laughs> like some of the glue they use for some of the hair they put right. on me. So I get yeah, that. Mastic or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. When I was on Sigma and the Sea Monsters, they painted me green every day for six weeks. My skin absorbed the yellow, and <laughs> I looked like I had jaundice. Um, oh, I'd be walking down the street, and other parents were like, oh, that poor sick child. I'm like, no, I'm fine, you know? <laughs> so I remember, I don't know if your mom had one of these, but it was like this thing you stuck your face into, and it was like a facial. Yeah, They'd I've seen them. I've seen them, yep. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this thing is like easy from the 60s, right? So I remember sticking my face in that thing to basically make my glands sweat out all the freaking yellow <laughs> that, that had sucked in from the green makeup. Oh, yeah. The good old days. Uh, when I did Freaky Friday, uh, there was a scene where basically I hit the blender to make chocolate mousse, but the lid wasn't on. So I was supposed to shoot chocolate all over the place. Uh-huh. Well, it, it was a short scene, but it took two days to film it. And as chocolate dries, it tends to pull. And so it's like I could feel my hair on my arms getting ripped out as the chocolate was drying, you know. But it was, and of course the stuff from the blender wasn't good enough, so they rigged these chocolate shooters like up in the ceiling that would rain down chocolate on uh-huh. it. So it was like had all this this crazy insane chocolate covering. Yeah, yeah, I was picking chocolate out of my ears for a long time too. <laughs> I feel yeah. Yep. Oh, yep. and here's here's one that I'm thinking about. So on Sigma of the Sea Monster, there was one scene, and I I it was seven, so I don't really remember the detail. But I just remember I magically zapped a hot fudge sundae to appear and mm-hmm. start eating. Um, ice cream melts under the lights. Mashed potatoes don't. And so they had this beautiful whipped mashed potato with chocolate sundae that I needed to dig into and eat like I loved it. <laughs> I will never eat mashed potatoes <laughs> and chocolate together ever again. Because that has to be the – I mean, chocolate can hide a lot of sins. Yeah, but, uh, that's one. It's not good. Not gonna work. Yeah. I wouldn't think it would be any good. Yeah, <laughs> not not bueno. And again, I've never seen it, but I'd love to see my face eating that thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll find a clip for you to see if I can send it to you. <laughs> okay, good for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> All right. So Mark. you have your stack card and everything. Not yet. No, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I've really? only been doing extra work and uh, behind the scenes oh. stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought no talking parts. No talking parts yet. Only in independent movies. Oh, oh okay. Yep. Yeah. I look at my SAG card. I keep it I keep it active so I can vote for the SAG Awards. Okay. Um nineteen seventy three. 
Wow. Is when I got my SAC wow. card. I remember walking into the headquarters wearing my little, you know, burgundy velvet jacket and little tie and stuff, going in there to get my pin. I still have that original pin somewhere. Amazing the things you hold on to. I know, to. it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Tim, you've been wonderful. And if Thank there's you. anything else that comes up, feel free to just reach out. Absolutely. No, I've had a, a great time talking with you, and I will hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and again, thanks. I appreciate you thinking of me. Thanks for listening to Saturday Morning Rewind. Please check them out on Facebook and Twitter. And that's all, folks.